Okay. So here we are. In Vezocher Chaste Avos, Hashem remembers the chesed of the Avos. So we were asked, we were, we talked about Rav Schwab and Rav Schwab mostly. Some of it was also Maharal. And that the chesed, the chesed of the Avos is Hashem remembering the bris of the Avos, that he remembers the covenant with the Avos. And I have to tell you, one of the most um, astonishing things that I found, this was a reward for researching chesed. <laughs> so in your merit, <laughs> I found a passage from Rav Hirsch that actually helps to uh, pull together and unite the different approaches on Zohar Chaste Avos all into one. Which, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't himself explicitly tie it to Zohar Chaste Avos, but it clearly answers this, this question, which is Zohar Chaste Avos is Hashem remembers his promise to the Avos, like the merit of the Avos to do for them, um, rather than meaning he remembers Chesed that they did, which was a little bit puzzling because it sort of sounds like Zohar Chaste Avos, I mean, he remembers. Well, you could say chaste avos, the chasadim of the avos, meaning, I guess, the chesed he was giving to them. But it doesn't really sound like that. Mm -hmm. Like, the normal way it sounds is the chesed that the avos did, mm -hmm. but then what would that be? And we didn't really address that. Like, what, what would be the chesed of the avos? So we have two questions ahead of us here. One is, what is the chesed of the avos? And the second question, which was sort of a, an add-on question, is, so what is chesed really? So we're going to do it backwards because really you should say what is chesed really before you say what is the chesed of the avos, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say what is the chesed of the avos, and then afterward we'll take a sort of a, a side trip and say what is chesed altogether. Um, and in doing that, it actually pulls together all the threads of, of chaste avos, which is very exciting, kind of a bonus there. Um, and never, never, never would I have noticed it if not for the fact that we were talking about Zohar Chaste Avos to look about Chesed rather than just some other context for the word Chesed, which we had before because way back in Brachos we had that we should find Chen Chesed and Rachamim Beinecho Beinecho and none of this came up. So that's also like an interesting new insight. So what is the Chaste Avos? What is the Chesed of the forefathers? So this continues from last week. Um... Harris Hatzvila brings a couple of ideas. First, he quotes Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato from Asilas Yesharim in the Perak HaChasidus, because Chasidus is not not being a Chasid in the sense of like wearing a garto and a streimel and white socks, right? But a Chasid has a different definition in terms of an attitude towards Avodas Hashem. So, in his chapter on Chasidus, he he defines this midah of chesed according to, uh, not just chesed, but chasidus, which is ch sort of a chesed to God. It's based on a chazal, one who wants to do, give nachas ruach, I don't know exactly what that means. You would think satisfaction, but it's much nicer than satisfaction because it's more like, you know, when someone's, feels that they're really having great pleasure. They see their child, 
right? People say having nachas from their children, but when a person really gets nachas from a child is when they see their child behaving in a way that is just like the, uh, you know, sort of a greatness of who they are. That's real nachas for a parent. To see in a, in a child who was once just a baby and once just selfish or had tantrums or, or had arguments, you know, and they were just a kid, and all of a sudden you see in them, even, whether as a child or as an adult, mm-hmm. you see a kind of maturity in them. That's a real nachas. Mm-hmm. So nachas ruach is not just satisfaction, mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, that's good. But satisfaction as in like a deep sense of satisfaction of like, wow, there's something here that I'm, I'm so pleased with and so delighted to be associated with this person. A person who's trying to give nachas ruach to his creator. So that Hashem would look at the person and say, wow, I'm so pleased to be associated with this person. That's, that's a pretty high striving. Ha'avos ha'kadoshim lo nitztavu. Our forefathers, our holy forefathers, were not commanded to do all kinds of mitzvos. They didn't have the Torah. They didn't have anybody tell them they had to do this or had to do that. And nonetheless, they came to achieve perfection in their avodas Hashem. I mean, they're avos. So they achieved a kind of perfection in avodas Hashem right through from the quality of chasidus, coming from an aspect of wanting to make their creator happy. They wanted to make nachas ruach for the creator. May he be blessed. And this chasidus of the avos, right, that's called chasidus. So if that's the chasidus of the avos, then perhaps it's possible to say, v'zocher chaste avos, that God is remembering the chesed the avos did for him. Now, God doesn't require chesed done for him. He's not lacking anything, right? But that it's correct to describe that as the chesed of the avos. It's the chasidus of the avos, right? The chasidus being the quality or the motivation and the chesed being what they actually did, the performance of the actions. V'zocher chaste avos. He remembers the the perfection of Avodas Hashem that was achieved by our forefathers where the only thing obligating them was a desire to please God. Not to please Him in order to get anything, but just because they want Him to look at them and be pleased with them. It's early. Okay. And in fact, from the, from the Siddur-based tefillah I saw brought down, there's a wonderful sefer called Nafshi Cholas Avasecha, which works as a title better, much better in Hebrew than in English. Okay, it means my soul is, is lovesick for you, which sounds sort of funny in English, right? My soul is sick over you, but like it means I'm, I, I love you so much, Hashem. You know, it's the title of this book. It's and it, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure that's where it comes from. And it brings together comments, different comments all about the different parts of Shemona Esrei, specifically on Shemona Esrei. And I got this as a gift from Armachutin, from Basia's father-in-law, Rabbi Roseman. Um, and I've been waiting for my chance to use it till we got to Shemona Esrei. <laughs> it's really very nice. A lot of the sources that it quotes, not all of them, but many of them are Hasidish sources, which I definitely would not have come across on my own. Um, anyway, this, this one that he brings is... Even when tzaddikim do the mitzvos that are obligatory for them, Hashem considers it as if they've done a chesed. So that's another step 
he's taking another step here past what, what Ramchal said. Good morning. Oh, don't you look cheerful today. Hello. So he goes here another step beyond. I like the lipstick. Goes with the tichel. Okay. Beyond, beyond, which is that, well, what would the rest of us do? How could anybody achieve anything? Okay, we're not going to maybe achieve what the Evels did, even though we should always tell ourselves, when will my deeds reach the deeds of my ancestors? But it's not that we have the gaiva of thinking we're going to be the Evos, but let's say a person has this quality of chasidus. How would it ever play out now that we do have commandments, right? If the motivate, but no, the motivation of chasidus is still legitimate. Meaning a person might be doing something, and yes, it might be a mitzvah, and he might do it because it's a mitzvah. He might think of it because it's a mitzvah. But his motivation in his action, what he's thinking about is wanting to give nachas ruach to his creator. And when that is the case, Hashem considers it as if this person has done a chesed for God. So it starts to pull together. And actually what that reminded me of was something that we saw a couple of weeks ago. Depending on, I mean, there's a lot of papers here, so maybe it's longer ago than I remember. I think it was just a few weeks ago. In Vekone Hakol, which was, there was an explanation of Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev at the very end of Pirkei Avos, where he says that every day a divine echo comes out and calls out, Shuvu Vanim Shovavim, return wayward children, right? And he says, that's like a wake-up call. It's up to us to answer it. But when we do, when a person wakes up, when, when something stirs inside of him and he grabs hold of it and investigates it and acts on it and comes back closer to Hashem, Hashem considers that as if we had done it. That is a chesed Hashem does. He considers as if we did it ourselves. Even though he knocked on the door every single day, right? Every five minutes. Time to get up. Time to get up. And then you get up and he says, good job. Like, well done. I'm glad to see that you decided to, to get up. Right? He counts that. So that's a chesed he does for us, but it's also the chesed he's doing for us is counting it as if we did a chesed, meaning as if we did it without being told. Because it was subliminal, right? So it was still a free will choice to do the tshuva. It's kind of a similar concept over there, that giving us the credit. Okay, so I, I'm going to propose something which I don't think is uh, too far off track, especially in light of these other little snippets that, see, I just gave them to you in order, but I didn't always find them in this order at all, um, which is, what chesed is Hashem remembering? Um, how could we say there is a chesed, and what is it referring to, and what does this have to do with the first bracha of Shemona Esrei? And how would the Zohar Chasteyavos lead to, or maybe Goel Ibnei Vnehem, bringing a savior to their children's children for the sake of his name? And I realized, because this was a few weeks ago, now we're coming into Parshas Kisisa, but this was already several weeks ago that I've been turning this over in my mind and wondering about it. And it was a little bit closer to Parsha Shmos. And in Parsha Shmos, even though we didn't talk about it this year, but what we spoke about, I think, last year, um, came back to me, and I realized that this pattern is very, very familiar. I think I mentioned this last week also, right? It's so this idea that Hashem remembers the chesed of the forefathers. He brings a redeemer to their children's children for the sake of his name with love. And I say, I've heard this story before. Okay, yes. And as I, I remember saying last week, like this is talking about now, but I've heard this before then. 
So what is it that I've heard before? I, I copied down the Rashi's actually over here, but they're easier to read from a Chumash. Okay. When we were in Mitzrayim, Vayedaber Elokim el Moshe, Hashem spoke to Moshe, Vayomer love and said to him, Ani Hashem, I am God. And you remember, it's Vayedaber Elokim, which is Midas Hadin, and he said, Ani Hashem, which is Midas Arachamim. Vayera, and I appeared, El Avraham, El Yitzchok, Ve'el Yaakov, Bekel Shokai. I appeared to Avraham, Yitzchok, and Yaakov as Kel Shokai, a, a God of power. Ushmi Hashem, lo nodati lohen. But I did not make myself known to them. They didn't experience me according to Shmi Hashem, the interaction of Hashem, of not only Rachamim, but Hashem as Hayahove Yihiyah, the past, the present, the future, all created with loving kindness, which is also part of the name of that name of God. Vigam Hakimosi Esbrisi Itam Kenan. And I set up a covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, Es Eretz Megurehem, the land they were living in, Asher Goruva, which they dwelt in. Gamani Shomati Es Nakas Bnei I have also heard the groaning of the Jewish people, Asher Mitzrayim Ma'avidim Osam, because Mitzrayim is enslaving them. Ve'ezkor Es Brisi, and I recall my covenant. Lachain Emor Levnei Yisrael, therefore say to the Jewish people, Ani Hashem, I am God. God Havaya, and I shall take you out from the burdens of Egypt. I will save you from their work. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will bring you to me as a people. And I will be for you a God. Vidatem, and you will know. Now, how did the Avos know? The Avos did not know Hashem as Havaya. Lonodati Lahem. They didn't, not that they didn't know, they didn't experience God as this name of Yud Hey, Vav, and then Hey. And Hashem says, I am going to enact for you Vehotsesi, Vehitsalti, Vegoalti, Velokarti. These are the Lashonos of Geula. This is what every Pesach, right? You have four cups of wine to remember that God did this for us, okay? All of these things I will do for you via Daten, and then you will know, you will have experienced that I am Hashem, your God, both names together, who has taken you out of the burdens of Egypt. And I shall bring you to the land which I raised my hand, which I vowed to give to Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov, and I will give it to you as an inheritance. I am God. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's maybe not surprising that the fifth, name, the fifth word of redemption is broken away. And not included in the Vyadata, because this generation that was being spoken to did not in fact experience it themselves. So it wouldn't be part of their Vyadata. I think I think that's probably the truth. Okay. So 
we have to come back and see what is going on here with the Ushmi Hashem lo nodati lohem, that they did not experience or know me with this name of God. I'm just looking for, the, for all those Rashis there. Okay. So, Vayomer Elav Ani Hashem. Hashem said, Elohim, Hashem, using the name Elohim, spoke to Moshe and said, Ani Hashem. What does Rashi say? Ne'eman l'shalim sachatov l'mishalchim l'fonai. I am faithful, I am loyal to give a good reward to those who walk before me. I didn't send you for nothing, which Moshe was concerned about, because it didn't seem, you know, like it was going so amazingly well. I have sent you to keep my word. You are on a mission from me. To fulfill what I promised, that which I said to the first forefathers. And what we find is that the Medrash in many places explains that the use of the term, of God suddenly saying, I am God, at the end of something, right? Keep the Shabbos because I am God. I mean, sometimes it just seems like, why, why is it there? And the, the Chazal will explain that when it says Ani Hashem, using the four-letter name of God, Nemon Lipara Kishehu Omer Eitzel Onesh, it means faithful. Faithful to pay. Faithful to punish, if the context is regarding a punishment, like Vichilauta Hashem Elokecha, you have defiled the name of God, Ani Hashem, I am God. Kishehu Omer Eitzel Kiyo Mitzvos, and if it's about keeping mitzvos, Keep my mitzvos and do them. I am God. He is faithful to give a reward. Okay, so this is piece number one. When it says, I am Hashem, this name of God, which is sort of the prime name, at least as far as we're aware of, right? We don't quite say it. That Yud and He and Vav and He, when we, that is one of the interactions with the world that that is referring to is that God keeps his word. And God rewards those who do good and he punishes those who do bad and he keeps his word. Now, you can, you can immediately understand why that has something to do with the fact that God is eternal. Because from the point of view of a person, we don't always see the end of the story within our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there's, like, you need to know that Hashem is ne'eman l'shah. He is faithful to keep his word. Okay? The avos did not experience God that way. By the way, they didn't need to. But they didn't experience God that way. So, for example, on the word va'era, I appeared. Right? I appeared to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov as kel shokai, Hashem says. So Rashi says, Vaira, I made myself seen to the Avos, the Kel Shakai. In other words, Hivtachtim Haftachos, I promised them promises. Uvekulan Amarti Lahamani Kel Shakai. And each of those promises, I said, I am Kel Shakai, powerful, mighty God. And he Rashi brings each of the cases. Ushmi Hashem Lonadati Lahem. But my name, Hashem, I did not make myself known to them. I didn't, they didn't experience me that way. It doesn't say I didn't inform them. I didn't tell them about this name. 
they didn't experience me. They didn't know me that way. They did not recognize me. They didn't experience me according to my quality of verification, of truthfulness. As someone who always does exactly what he says. That quality is referred to with Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, not with Kel Shokai. Kel Shokai doesn't mean anything contradictory to that, it just doesn't include that in its meaning. Ne'emon la'ames devarai, faithful to make true my word. Shahari hivtachtim, I promised to them, below kiyamti, and in their lifetimes I did not fulfill the promises. Okay. Therefore, tell the Jewish people, I am Hashem. You're going to know. Those are the Dalad Lashonas of Geula. Say to the Jewish people, I am Hashem. And Rashi, in fact, translates this as, Faithful in my promise. Mm-hmm. I will take you out. Because that's what I promised your forefathers. Okay. Now hold on. I just There's one more piece of this Rashi that I want to bring. Okay. Now this is on the Rashi of Mikotzer Ruach, that the Jewish people had trouble absorbing what Moshe was telling them because they were short of breath. They were under too much pressure. So at the end of that Rashi, he adds on, Rabosenu Dirshu, our Chachamim have explained this, and it seems to be, I don't know, it says Shmos Rabbah and it says Sanhedrin Kofiralov. Could be there's two sources. Le'inyan Shalmala, with regard to the prior topic. She'amar Moshe lama When Moshe said to God, why have you done bad to these people? Right? From the day that I came in and talked to Paro, now the slavery got even worse. Amar lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem said to him, Chaval al da'avdin velo mishtakrim. How much we miss, what a shame, those who are lost but not forgotten. I grieve for the death of the Avos. So many times I appeared to them, revealed myself to them as Kel Shokai, and they never said to me, What's your real name? In other words, Hashem revealed himself to the Avos as Kel Shakai, and he made powerful promises to them, and they were so happy. It didn't, they understood they don't know exactly when these things will happen, and that was fine. It was enough that Hashem said it, mm-hmm. that that is real, because that is creation, right? Hashem, Vayomer Elohim Yehi Or. When God says it, that is what is created. So the fact that God told it to them is that's that is that is the reality, even if they haven't seen it yet. The ato amarta, but you Moshe, you right away say mashmo ma'omar aleihem. When they're going to ask me what's his name, then what am I going to tell them? You will you will now see. Okay, on the pasuk when he says this is back at the end of Shmos. Why did you send me? So Rashi says over there, Herharta al midosai. You're like thinking into my midos. You're, you're, you're investigating, right? Which is not the same as just being like, oh, so that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Like you're sort of looking for it. 
you don't see it yet, so now you're hunting for it. Lo ke Avraham, unlike Avraham, that I said to him, ki be Yitzchak yikari lechazara. I told Yitzchak, I told Avraham that Yitzchak is going to be your descendant, your true descendant. And then afterward I said to him, bring him up as a korban. And he never questioned it. He didn't say, but you said. Okay, and that would appear to be like really in contradiction to God's promise. It's not just that he didn't maybe live to see the promise of things happen. <laughs> but like, yeah, it sure seems like that's a change. But he didn't question that. He didn't question it. Not, it again, Emuna, as I mentioned before we turned on the recording, Emuna is not blind faith. It was enough that God said that it was so to make it true. That is true. Enough. It's like, like he's doing a favor. Like, that is the truth. God said that it's so, therefore it's true. How does this fit in? I don't know, but I certainly don't have to go, like, trying to figure it out. One way or another, I'll find out. Therefore, he says, now you'll see. You're going to see what I'm going to do to Paro. Right? You'll see that I'll, I'll, I'll do what I said I would do. Okay. Now. Now I come back to Shemona Esri, right? V'zocher chaste avos, umevi goa livnei v'nehem laman shemo ba'ava. God remembers the chesed of the forefathers. Now, I'm definitely moving in the direction of saying that's the chesed of the forefathers. It's this which keeps getting brought up. Rashi keeps bringing it up at the, in the end of, of Shmos and beginning of Aira. This concept. Oh, I have another example of it. This is with Yehoshua. Um, I think this came up maybe last year, Pesach, uh, Purim time. Um, after the war with Amalek, Hashem tells Moshe, write down everything that happened in a book, and put it in the ears of Yehoshua. And the Orachim says, why does it say specifically, tell this to Yehoshua? I mean, this is for everyone, right? Macho, I mean, this is like, I shall surely wipe out the name of Amalek. So we all hear about this. Okay. So why is this specifically to Yehoshua? And the Orachim says, perhaps it is because Yehoshua is the one who led the battle against Amalek. So he's the one who saw the most clearly the power and anger. That he saw how vicious Amalek really was. The kind of, you know, things that we try not to look at when there are anti-Semitic YouTube videos, right, going around. And you don't really want to see something like that. Yehoshua faced it directly. He was face to face with Amalek. And he saw what they thought of Jewish people and what they intended to do to them. And some of what they did to them. I don't know, did we come across that ever? I'm not sure I ever brought it up. Like, there's a whole thing of how Amalek, they, they cut off the people who were trailing behind, the weakest ones. So what's they cut off the weakest ones? It says that they, they were able to catch the people who were outside the Ananea Kavod. They were Rishayim. They were not righteous people. And they cut off their bris milos and threw them toward heaven and said, here, God, is this what you were looking for? These people, this covenant? Okay, like this is kind of like depraved thing that we could never imagine could be true if not for the fact that we live in the era that we live in and there are people like that again. But if not for the fact that we know there are really such people who have this kind of combination of, of cruelty and denial of God while claiming that they know who God is, we wouldn't believe such things could be possible. Yoshua was face to face with that and discovered that when the battle was over, they'd won the battle, but not won the war. He did not have the power to destroy them completely. He was only able to weaken them. 
How could that be? How could it be that he's face to face with real evil directed not only at the Jewish people, but really because of God, evil against God, and God didn't let him wipe them out? He should have been able to just completely obliterate them. And he didn't. He won, but a lot of them ran away and got away and lived to, you know, fight another day. And he didn't understand that. So perhaps in the heart of this tzaddik, he couldn't understand why did God do this? Why didn't he do what seems would be the right thing to do? The right thing should do to, to do would seem to be that this wickedness should, should be destroyed. And so Hashem says, Let's, we need to reassure him. And he commanded Moshe and said to him, put this in the ears of Yehoshua. Yehoshua is the one who needs to hear. Tell him, and he needs to hear this in order to answer what might be the question in the heart of Yehoshua. Tell him not to worry about it. I will surely in the future wipe out and erase all, all remnant of the name of Amalek from under the heavens. And the word of God is as if it already is. If Yehoshua hears God specifically tell him this, I will wipe them out, then it's as if it already happened. And it will comfort him. Right? It's no comfort if you, don't, if you aren't confident in it. It's a comfort because for a tzaddik like Yehoshua, the fact that God said it, it is. And now it's not going to weigh on his heart anymore. Okay. So that was another example of that same sort of principle that Hashem was, was mourning for and missing in the Avos, right? Was the quality of Hashem made you a promise and it's, it's as much as fulfilled. Okay. But I would go even further, which is, and I think that this really supports it, and I saw afterward, um, after I came up with this, I saw that Abu Darham actually brings this pasuk. He says, how do you, ex like he's explaining the davening, v'zocher chaste avos, as it says, and he brings this pasuk from Yermia. Ko amar Hashem, so says Hashem. It's a famous song, a few songs now. Zacharti loch chesed neuraich. I remember the chesed of your youth. Okay, so here's an explicit place where Hashem is saying that there is a chesed mm -hmm. that the Jewish people have done. You followed me into the wilderness, a land that was not plant. Zeruah means there's no seeds. There's nothing growing. So the chesed is following Hashem into an empty place. But, but if you look specifically at how this is described, it's following God into a wilderness where nothing seems to be growing. In other words, a place where nothing even looks like it's prepared to produce fruit later. I can, the Jewish people followed God into the desert, not only not knowing where their food would come from, not only saying, okay, but he's taking us to a place where it's fertile, so he's got a plan to provide for us, following him where there is no sign of any possible way to provide support. So there's not the tiniest sprout 
of God's promise being fulfilled. But we followed him out there anyway. Because we wouldn't there's nowhere we'd rather be than in the hand of God. That's where we want to be. And how he's going to take care of it, he'll, he'll, I don't know. It's okay. If he'll take care of us, he'll take care of us. He said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. So, so I can't see that he's fulfilling it. That's okay. I really think it's the same thing. This is the chesed. This is the chesed of the avos. And afterward, this becomes the chesed of the Jewish people in leaving Egypt as well. We had forefathers who saw no planting of seeds of the promises. They didn't see that God's promises to them were sprouting anywhere. Right? They, Hashem says to Avram, Rashi gives many examples, not only the one about Yitzhak, that's just a pretty astonishing one, right? But Hashem says, I'm going to give you this land for you and your children and your children's children after you. And then his wife dies and he's got to put out a fortune of money to, even just to bury her. This is the land you gave me? This is my land, right? This land is your land. This land is my land. This is not my land if I got to buy it. Okay? I mean, this is happening over and over. And Rashi gives examples with each of the Avos. But they, they saw no indication of the planting of seeds of the promises. But they followed him anyway. Because that's where they wanted to be. That's real emuna. It's not blind faith. It's faith. It's staying loyal and acting upon what you know to be true, even though you can't see it in front of you at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's what real Amuna is. And that seems to be, I think it's legitimate to say, this is, this is the chesed. This is the chesed of our forefathers. It's just like it's described in the chesed with coming out. So, okay. And in fact... Um, as I said, Avu Darham brings Vizocher Chaste Avoshanamar. First, he quotes the Apostle in Vayikra Vizacharsti Esbrisi Yaakov. I remember my covenant with Yaakov, which is the approach more that, that Rav Schwab right, followed on that approach. In other words, when Hashem says he remembers the Chesed of the Avos, he remembers his covenant with the Avos, his promise to them. Uchsiv, and it furthermore says, In your meal, Zacharti la Chesed Neorayich. I remember the Chesed of your youth. Now, the Avos is not our, the generation that left Egypt. So I think that I think that the way I just explained it is why the Pasuk that's talking about the Jewish people following into the desert is the correct Pasuk over here. Because what it's doing is it's explaining what is the nature of the chesed of the Avos. What is, what is it called chesed to God? Mm -hmm. The chesed to God is when we are following him without seeing the sign of of his fulfillment of his promise, and yet nonetheless knowing that. Okay. Now, and, and this also explains to us then why it's That's the whole passage in Va'era, right? Hashem remembers the chesed of the forefathers. Rashi just spelled it all out throughout there. Hashem remembers the chesed of the forefathers that he promised them that he'll redeem their children, that their children will be slaves, but then he will redeem them and he'll bring them into the land and give them this land. Right? And their children will be like the sand of this, um, on the shore and like the stars in the heavens. They didn't live to see it. Hashem remembers that though. And brings a redeemer to their children's children. The chesed is that they don't see it. It's many generations later. But he brings the goel to their children's children. For the sake of his name. 
his name, meaning that Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, Ani Hashem, Neman Lipara, Neman Litain Sachar, faithful to keep my word, the Ahava, with love. And I think that that's the explanation of the end of this. The only difference is that this is still happening and it's talking about now. This is talking about our days now. This is not a reference back to Mitzrayim. This is just the exact same pattern again. And so we're recognizing it and learning from what happened in the first Geula to understand our next Geula. But what we're describing is now. Okay. I think the next piece is like to realize, like, and why is this in Shmonas, right? <laughs> What is, what's the deal with Shemona Esrei then? Because Shemona Esrei has a couple of parts to it, which we've talked about a lot in the introductions to Shemona, introductions to Shemona Esrei. Number one, in Shemona Esrei, is a revelation of God's will to do chesed and bring geula and perfection to the world. It's the expressing the truth of that, although we don't, actually necessarily see it all now. So putting it in these terms in, in some way helps put us in that place of trying to reach that level, right? Of this is, this is God's will. This is the truth. This is what is happening. I just don't see it that way yet in every area. Do I see a little bit of Bonei Yerushalayim? Maybe. Do we sometimes see Rafua? Yes. Do we, you know, it's not that none of this ever, all of this sometimes, but as one whole grand picture, we don't see it yet. And yet, it's Umevi Goel. He is bringing a redeemer. It's already happening. It's all playing out. It's just not visible yet. So I think that that's one piece of why this is such a relevant part of the beginning of Shemona Esrei. And this is what it's about. Another piece is that it's a revelation of our total reliance on Hashem. Right? The chesed of your, of your youth that you followed me out into a wilderness that was unplanted. This is a headspace. This is like where we need to be in our minds coming into Shmona Esrei is I'm following you into a, a wilderness in this world. I, I, all of these things I need. I have real need. I, I need health. I need sense, I need help with tshuva, I need redemption, I need parnasa, I need freedom, I need leadership, I need Yerushalayim, I need a king, I, and we, I, I have so many needs, I have so many problems, problems that I don't seem to be able to fix that I should be fixing, and problems that are way outside my reach to fix that I need you to fix, and all of it I need your help, right? We're supposed to approach Hashem in Shimon Esrei, from a perspective of Bakasha, of asking for what we really need. So it's recognizing that I need it and also fully being able to walk with God and say, but I know that you're providing. I just, it may not, it may look like a desert. <laughs> None of us could ever have predicted or invented or conceived of Mun. Even when we saw Mun for the first time, we just, it was like a blank. But what is that? It didn't look like food. Mm -hmm. Didn't smell like food. We did. And for forty years we lived off mud, and it didn't sprout. It's true. You don't see anything sprouting. Yep, that's true. Because you're looking down, and I'm going to send it from up. You know, so you're looking the wrong direction. 
Like, but it's fine. We're good. We can go there. So maybe we look around and we see in our world and we see that I have that we have problems and I have needs and I have desires or I have pain and I need help with it all. But I'm turning to Hashem knowing that He'll provide. It just, I, I can't see it, but that doesn't matter. It's really a mind space of Lech Tech Acharag Midbar Be'eretz Lozeroah. I think that that's, that's what brings it here. Okay. Now, if you don't mind, what I'd like to do is um, build off of these ideas something related to Purim. Partly because yesterday was Purim Katan. Um, and today, Shushan Purim Katan, which I'm not sure there is such a thing, but theoretically. <laughs> it's not perfectly clear to me if there is or isn't. It could be. Okay. Actually, the way Rabbi Left said it is that, in fact, if you do do something for Purim Katan, like have a, an, a suda or drink a little wine for Purim Katan, so then if you're in Yerushalayim, so you would do that on Shushan Purim, so I guess Shushan Purim Katan. Okay. We have enough trouble in Chutzlar, it's grappling with the idea of Purim, Pur, uh, Shushan Purim, let alone Shushan Purim Katan. Okay. But, but nonetheless, I think this is, this is awesome stuff and would be worth saying, even if I didn't happen to see it because of Purim. Okay. This is from the Maharal. I found it in the Machser for Yom Kippur, believe it or not. Fortunately, before Yom Kippur, when I was looking in the Machser of the Maharal on Yom Kippur, I realized he had a bunch of stuff on Purim because of the Yom Purim and Yom Kippurim. <laughs> so I made a little note to myself and stuck it in my Purim notes that said, check out Maharal on Yom Kippur because, okay. So I was very, very glad I had done that. All right. In the Medrash on Mishle, so Maharal quotes Mishle a lot, and the Medrash on this particular Pasuk in Mishle, which is Chachmos Ban Sabesa. This is often quoted incorrectly as Chachmas Nashim Ban Sabesa. Yeah, that's how my teachers always said it, yes. which turns out to be wrong. Okay, that, basically what they've done is put the interpretation right in, but it prevents you from learning other interpretations. So, okay, like the, the wisdom of women, of a woman builds her home. Right. You should get that with own bread palace, I think, is where you first hear it. Yeah. Okay. Chachmos Bansa Besa. With wisdom, she builds her home. Tovcha Tivcha. She cooks the food. Af Archa Shulchana and even sets the table. This is Esther Hamalka, says the Medrash. At the time, when there was oppression and pain for the Jewish people, she prepared a meal for Ahasuerus and Haman, the wicked, and she, gave, she made them drunk with an excess of wine. And when and at the time when Haman thought to himself that Esther was giving him great honor, not only is she honoring him, but she's the queen, giving him honor. He did not know that she was spreading a net to trap him. That through the fact that she made him drunk with wine, she acquired, there's that Kona again, right? Obviously it's, the Medrash is using acquire more like <laughs> the Psukim do than like we tend to. Kansa Umasa, she acquired, she got, got a hold of her entire nation. Bonsa Besa, she built a home. She built the entire home of the Jewish people by doing, by spreading this table, by making this meal. Le'olam 
forever. She acquired a nation forever, which now that I think about it, um, is even more remarkable because the only child she gave birth to, she had to see get raised as a non-Jew, right? That was Darius II. And it's most unlikely that he ever had any children that were Jewish, right? But what she did acquire was an entire household of all of the Jewish people. Everybody owes their lives to Esther because we would have all been gone without her. She set her table in this world and the next world. She acquired what a good name for herself. Because all holidays at some point may become batal, but the days of Purim never. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit in here because um, he is comparing it to Yom Kippur. Not really, and I'm not going to do that part. But now let me come back to what happened here with this madrash. This Midrash is telling us something about the level of Purim, something about the, the high level of Purim, mm-hmm. and tells us that Esther, who was a prophet, mm-hmm. as we learn in Masachas Megillah, with her wisdom built the house of the Jewish people by inviting Haman to a meal. That's how she built a home for the Jewish people, the house of Israel, not a home. That's how she built the house of Israel. That's why she invited him to a meal. Okay. So now the question is, why the meal? What made her think of inviting him to a meal? Why is she doing it like this? He says, Chazal say, she invited him to a meal intentionally. And he now bases, or the, or the Chazal base, I'm not sure, on another pasuk in Mishle, which... You have to laugh when you hear how he understands Pshat in this Pesach because it's quite different. The only context I've ever come across this is in Christian sources, which, I mean, not Christian, like reading Christian philosophical sources, but just people quoting it, which very different meaning. If your enemy is hungry, feed him bread. <laughs> feed him bread. I'm not going to, okay, whatever. You can understand how people interpret that. I don't need to repeat that, which is false. Why should you feed him bread? Because you are piling coals upon his head. That's the end of the Pasuk. Talk about taking things out of context. Mm. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread because you'll be piling coals on his head. Right. So this is not about feeding enemies for the sake of kindness, even though they're out to kill you. Okay. Nobody could translate it that way who had to do what Yehoshua did and face a real enemy face-to-face who's out to get you. Okay. It's not the moment you know, when you're battling Amalek and you hear his stomach grumble, say, hang on, let me give you a sandwich. You sound so hungry, you poor thing. Right? No. All right. So what does this Pasuk mean? If your enemy is hungry, feed him bread, it'll pile coals on his head. The meaning of this is if somebody hates you, Now, this is not talking about, like, the stupid, petty arguments people have, right? This is real hate. I mean, hate is something much bigger. If somebody hates you and he takes from you, he accepts something from you. In other words, you give him bread and he wishes to take that bread from you. In this act of taking and receiving from you a gift of the food, he is given over into your hand. 
שכל אשר מקבל מאחר בזה, הוא נמסר בידו. Anyone who accepts from somebody else, he owes him. He becomes indebted to him. It's not just that he owes and has to pay him back. It's that he has made himself vulnerable to the other person. The one who accepts, has made himself dependent, is given over to the hand of the one who gave. And he is under his domination. And in this way, Esther brought the downfall of Haman. And the Jewish people were able to rise over the one who hated them, this Haman HaRasha, who wanted to wipe out men, women, and children so that there would be no remnant of a name of Israel on the planet. These are coals she heaped on his head. He, he allowed himself to be led into oblivion. In other words, his head, mm-hmm. right? Like everything that identifies him as who he is. And in this way, she acquired the Jewish people. We can explain. She made a seuda for Haman, and she fed him wine. So now, now her question is, why is it then about feeding somebody that will bring his downfall into your hands? He wants to go another step deeper. He says, Kasher ha'adam haya betov levav, ki ilo eno chaser klal, davar zehu letakala ulemichshalelav. When a person is in a frame of mind where his heart feels perfectly satisfied and he thinks he has no needs whatsoever, this is a stumbling block and a trap. It is a very dangerous situation. When a person sits back and feels, ah, I got it made. That's the trap. Because a person has to always know that he's not perfect. He needs some work to perfect. Life is imperfect. Things need to be perfected. While we are alive in this physical world, the physical is not perfect. And that's, that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. The problem is when a person thinks it isn't so. He says a person must always know that he does not have perfection and he needs perfection. And that he will receive his Hashlama, the filling in of his need from God. When I feel hungry, I need to say, Hashem, feed me. When I feel sad, I need to say, not chocolate, feed me, right? Hashem, please help me feel not sad. When I don't have enough money, I need to think, Hashem, please provide for me. Parnasa. Mm-hmm. When a person feels they have enough, of everything, this is not the same as saying people shouldn't be sad. People should be happy with what God has given them. But that's the recognition that I don't really have anything and God is giving to me. The danger is for the person who feels I have everything. Because now they have closed the door to recognizing that they need God to fill the space that's empty. Right? This is a topic we talked about and it was also food-based because this seems to be one of the primary reasons that people are the way we are, that we need to eat several times a day, is because we are supposed to feel, oh, 
I need, I'm empty, something's missing, and then turn to God and ask him to provide for us. We're supposed to do that several times a day. We do it physically, that comes out with food, and we do it spiritually in our Shemona Esrei twice a day, right? They're compared to each other. That's what, this is what food is about. It's the reminder. It applies to everything else. But in our hour-to-hour life, it's food. And that's supposed to be that a person is constantly aware that he has needs and Hashem is filling them. But, aval, but, kasher ha'adam hu betuv, uveshlemus ve'eno chaser davarma, when a person feels that he's got it all, that is a, that's a danger to him. Because as soon as he feels he has it all, he feels disconnected from God. And he has explained that elsewhere. He says there's a proof for this, by the way, that the Yetzer Hara, asher hu chesaron la'adam, which is a chesaron for the person, I think there's, there's two ways we could read that. I'm not sure what the Maharal means. One is the fact that a person isn't perfect. But the other is the fact that the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Tov, a Yetzer is a craving and a desiring for more. It is a feeling of dissatisfaction, that something is missing. It could be something good is missing in my life, like I, I must have more spirituality. And it can be something that is not just a craving, like just a physical desire and a taiva could be missing. Okay, but that's what a yetzer hit. A yetzer is this yetzer hara, which is a lacking in a person. Is only there when a person is out in the world, is in the air. As long as a person's in his mother's womb, he doesn't feel he's missing anything. He has it all. He's also not really alive yet. I mean, he's partly alive. I mean, we don't say he's not alive, like it would be murder to kill him, right? But if that's not called being alive in the world. And also when a person dies, he has no needs. But that's also not called being alive in the world. So long as a person is alive in the world, it's natural and normal to feel that there's something missing. Because, okay, he doesn't say this straight out, but because the purpose of need is to remind us to ask God to provide for us. That's what it's for. That's why we need stuff all day. It's not a good sign if a per- Okay, so this is how Esther trapped Haman. She wanted to bring him down, so she made him a meal. She set the table. She cooked the food. And in doing that, she brought him into her net. He says, I got it all. That's the end. That's the beginning of the end. Person's got it all. That's not living. It's also reassuring, by the way, because it means that having a Yetzirah is not a sign of badness. It's a sign of life. Right? <laughs> Just saying. Okay. But don't we have to thank Hashem and let him know that, that, that when we say he provides for all our needs? Exactly. It's recognizing that he provides for our needs. Whenever we, prov- whenever we thank Hashem, we are thanking Him for, for making us need and then for providing for the need as well. So we say, Zokev kefufim, Hashem straightens the bent. Mal bisharumim, He dresses the bear. Right? We acknowledge that without His loving care, we would be bare, we would be bent. It, it's, he did make us need. 
He didn't create us with everything we need, so to speak, on purpose, so that we would ask him to provide and we would be able to appreciate what he does for us. If we didn't realize that we could need, we couldn't appreciate what we do have. Okay. Now, first of all, I just want to like bring that back to Shmona Esrei. Right? This, the Shmona Esrei is the spiritual side of, of Birkas Hamazon in our, in our food life, right? In our physical life which is recognizing that there is need. It's, it's, yes, it's being perfectly satisfied with whatever God has given me. It's not, it's not that I'm dissatisfied with it. It's that I recognize that I have need, and I ask him for it. And from there comes a closer connection because I realize he wants to hear me ask. He wants to provide for me. He wants to give to me. But in order to give to me, I need to recognize that he's the one providing it. The same with the man. Why did God give us man? In order to make you know, to make you experience that it is not the bread that feeds you, it's the word of God. Okay. The purpose of pain is to cause us to call out to Hashem. The purpose of need is to cause us to recognize that Hashem provides for us. Well, I... It also allows us to recognize that other people have needs and seek to provide for them. But that's already getting into the part about the chesed. <laughs> okay. One, one last piece about Purim, and then that will be for today. And then, Emir Hashem, we will have actually gotten through the Zohar Chaste Avos, and we'll get to what is chesed. And over there, we'll do the last piece of Zohar Chaste Avos, which is the Rav Hirsch that I mentioned but didn't mention. Okay. That will be part of that. This is from the Pachad Yitzchak. I actually have a few copies of that to read along, you can. It's Inyan Yud Gimel. So it starts two-thirds of the way down in the right-hand column and then goes up to the left. It's not a very long piece. Okay, Pachad Yitzchak on Purim. Listen to this. Listen how he takes everything that we've been learning and probably a lot more that I don't know about and builds it into another level. Al Tadami Binaf Sheikh Lehimolet. This is a quote from Megillus Esther. Mordechai says to Esther, do not, the normal translation would be al tadami, do not imagine benafshech in your soul or in your, in, your, in your mind or your emotions, lehimolet, that you will escape. Hadvarim nishma'im kechashad mechu'ar al Esther hamalka. These words can sound like a very despicable suspicion against Esther hamalka. Here you have this incredible Jewish woman, and he seems to be sort of accusing her of, say, like he's saying, don't think you're just going to escape over there and let the rest of us out here die. Like, sorry, you thought she was okay with that? How could you accuse her of, of thinking that way? He says, something like this is, this is not possible. This is clearly not the meaning. If you thought that that's what it meant, it's not what it means. Mordechai knew her better than anyone. Ella, shamahalecha inyan kahu. Rather, the process of this issue was like this. This is how it went. Hamispalo ba'ad chaveiro, vehutzarich oso davar, hu chila. This is a principle from Chazal, which you probably have heard before in other contexts, which says, one who prays on behalf of his friend, vehutzarich oso davar, 
And he himself needs that same thing. He is answered first. You've heard that before? Okay. Why is that so? Because there is an incalculable chasm that separates between an ordinary prayer and the prayer that comes from a broken heart. Now he doesn't go on and on about the broken heart, but the broken heart means one who feels terrible need, life-sustaining life need is somehow not fulfilled, and they feel helpless and hopeless. That, and praying from that place means the only hope I have is in God. And we know from the words of our Chachamim, the preference, meaning how much better the power of prayer is, that is embedded within a prayer that comes from a broken heart. That person who needs that same thing, and his heart is broken within him from, from desiring and requesting salvation for his problem. That person who needs something so badly that their heart is breaking over it. And from this, they're begging God to save them. They're holding in their hand, there's Kenyan again, Koach Tfila Niskav, an exceedingly exalted and powerful prayer. The Oso Adam, that person, Hamispalo Bekochoze, Letova Schavero, a person who takes that pain and that need and that prayer, and now they use it to daven for their friend, for the benefit of a friend. Friend doesn't have to be their buddy, it means someone else. He takes this incredible achievement. I don't, where would we put the word Kenyan here? <laughs> you can see that everyone's been translating it wrong all along, because this is just not how people, wise people understand the word Kenyan is like your whole self is invested in this, right? What you've built. He takes this incredible, powerful prayer that he has built out of his broken heart, and contributes it volunteers it to his friend. That's what it means. One who prays for a friend and he himself needs that thing. Klomar, in other words, he contributes for his friend the power of his prayer that is embedded in his own suffering. Obviously, it's only just that he should not lose the great merit. The person who has the suffering shouldn't lose the great merit just because out of the goodness of his heart, he gives this merit to his friend. He's taking this incredible merit and giving it to someone else. That is the solution to understanding the instruction that Mordechai is giving to Esther. 
Do not imagine in your thoughts to escape. Klomar, in other words, al Your prayers for the Jewish people, Tavodavka, should come specifically, precisely mitocha hakara, from the recognition and awareness that you need this thing. Don't start tricking yourself into saying, I better not panic, probably I'll be safe. No, we need your prayers coming from realizing that you are in the very, at least as precarious a position as we are. And coming from that place, your intention should be that your prayers are for the sake of the good of the Jewish people. You have to go to Achashverosh without being called. You have to be in such a terrifyingly dangerous place where your life is in danger, and then you're davening for the Jewish people, not for you. Chalilalach, God forbid, don't lose out the opportunity to truly be the one who prays on behalf of his friend when he desperately needs that thing himself. And only from the broken heart shall tzarech davar of being the one who needs that thing and contributes it to his friend, the power and the value of that prayer of the broken heart. That's how your prayer for the Jewish people should be elevated. Don't allow your mind to think you're going to be okay. Yeah, okay, so we'll, we'll stop there. And Emir Tzashem next week, what is Chesed?